Good morning, First Baptist Church of Hacienda Heights. Uh, on behalf of Chinese Baptist Church of Orange County, uh, I give you greetings in the Lord. It is a joy to worship with you uh, this morning, and it would not be without the uh, unity and the like-mindedness of the, the staff and the elders at Chinese Baptist Church for, in, in order for me to, to be able to be here uh, serving you and, and worshiping with you uh, through the preaching of God's word. So on behalf of Chinese Baptist Church, we give you greetings again. This morning, for our time in the word, I'd like us to consider a passage of scripture found in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 9. Uh, and I'm going to, if you have a copy of the scriptures yourself, I'm going to ask you to turn there. And I'm going to read this for you, and then we'll pray. But uh, I didn't ask Jeremy if, if this was okay to do, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'm, I'd ask if, if you have the opportunity, if you're able and willing, if you'd uh, stand at the, the public reading of God's Word. Jeremiah chapter 9. I'm going to read from two verses. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 through 24. Starting in verse 23, Jeremiah chapter 9. Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Please be seated. Let us pray together. Father, our prayer is simple this morning. We pray that you would open up our eyes that we may behold wonderful things from your law. Incline our hearts to your testimonies and not to dishonest gain. And establish your word to your servants as that which produces reverence for thee. We ask you to do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Humble brag. Have you heard that term? I'm guessing it's a, it's a term most of you have heard. The humble brag is a convenient way to boast without boasting. So the trick is to, to sneak in a, a boast while sounding humble. So consider a, some humble brags from some various demographics. This is one that comes from my context in an Asian culture at Chinese Baptist Church of Orange County. Looking out here, I'm guessing maybe some of you know, might know this humble brag. But there's two maybe middle-aged moms who are grabbing lunch together and discussing which college their firstborn got into. And as they do so, the first mom talks about her son, little Jimmy. Little Jimmy didn't get into his dream college of Harvard, so he had to settle for Stanford. He couldn't even get a, a full ride. Only, only half tuition paid, she tells this other mom. 
And then the, the second mom retorts back, well, at least Jimmy is in a private school. Little Bobby only got into a public school, Cal Berkeley. He got a full scholarship, but it doesn't even matter because it's only a public institution. He's not that smart. Then you have humble brags from celebrities on Twitter. Khloe Kardashian said this, I still can't believe I have a cover on Cosmo. And then Maggie Q says, I am featured in people's most beautiful. What can I say? They all make mistakes, but did the shoot with no makeup. And I have to say, scary. And then even Christians know how to dish them out as well. A pastor who I will keep unnamed, one whom you would probably definitely know if I mentioned his name, said this on Twitter, I'm truly humbled that you follow my tweets. I pray that they enrich your life and strengthen your ministry. God bless all 200,000 of you. There's not a single human being who does not know how to boast. Even though we all boast, some might admit it more than others, there's something about boasting that is truly off-putting. We can stand, we can't stand the, the girl who lets everyone know how high her GPA is. Or we mock the, the bodybuilder who tells you to touch his pecs and say, you see that? That's real. And then we condemn the, the rap star who steps out of his Bentley wearing chains with diamond studs on them and a gold blaring watch around his wrist to flaunt his wealth. But I must ask the question, is it possible to boast and be humble at the same time? Sounds like a, a contradiction, doesn't it? Is it possible to engage in a type of boasting that actually indicates your humility of heart? The book of Jeremiah is the longest book in the entire Bible. Jeremiah's message was to the southern kingdom of Judah. And through his prophet, God threatened to bring justice upon his people because of their sins. Jeremiah began his ministry under the godly king of Josiah and continued all the way through to the Babylonian captivity in 586 B.C., and so the backdrop of Jeremiah's prophecy is impending judgment and doom. It's, it's a warning to the people. And for the people of Judah, they had turned their backs on the Lord and turned their faces to false gods of their own construction, and the false gods of the surrounding nations. And some within God's people had given themselves over to, to wicked and appalling practices of child sacrifice, as Jeremiah 7.31 indicates. Instead of turning to the source of true life, Jeremiah indicts the people in chapter 2, verse 13, and he says, They have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. And the rampant idolatry, idolatry had infiltrated the people of Judah such that they didn't even blush over their own sin. I think the modern-day parallel is abortion. People actually make arguments for the murder of children in the womb, there's nothing new under the sun. And in the midst of all this, God still called forth his people to repent. He spoke to the people through Jeremiah 7, 5, saying, For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, 
if you truly execute justice with one another, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless, or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, then I will let you dwell in this place, in the land that I have given of old to your fathers forever. Before God rains down his judgment on them, in essence, they have a, a final opportunity to repent and turn back to their God. But if they fail to repent towards God, then he would bring his justice upon the very people who bore his own name. And God's judgment would come in the form of the nation of Babylon invading and exiling them, taking them out of their land and bringing them to theirs. And the problem with the people was that they simply did not trust in the good word of God. Judah was busy tickling their own ears with the false prophets that preached to them peace, peace, when there really was no peace. And they could themselves, they told themselves that the Lord had, had given them this temple where they praised his name and where he resided. So they had nothing to worry about because God's presence is, is with us. And so they chanted things like, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, as if something magical about that chant would protect them from the possible destruction looming at the hands of Babylon and King Nebuchadnezzar. So this is the backdrop upon which we come to our text in Jeremiah chapter 9. And our text this morning stands as an oasis in the desert of a text replete with judgment and denunciation. It provides a moment of refreshment from the rebuke and righteous condemnation given by the prophet. And just as it would have benefited Jeremiah's audience to pay close attention to his words, it would also benefit us to lend our ears and our hearts to Jeremiah. When it boils down to it, the main point of this passage is an exhortation to know the Lord. Jeremiah is saying, know the Lord. And I want to unpack this point through two particular points, two particular headings. The first is this. I want to examine some foolish boasts. Some foolish boasts. And then secondly, I want to look at a permissible boast, which is, by the way, the title of this morning's sermon. So we're going to look at foolish boasts, and we're going to look at a permissible boast. So let's look first at these foolish boasts. Look there in the text with me, if you have your Bibles, in verse 23. It says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, and let not the rich man boast in his riches. And the Lord lists Three boasts so common on the lips of man. This is probably not an exhaustive list, but they are things that most people seem to put their confidence in when it comes to their own personal confidence. Three particular things in general. Let's examine the particular boasts. First, he says, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Wisdom and knowledge are perhaps the easiest things to place confidence in because wisdom is internal. It's something one exercises personally. A wise person depends 
on no other human for his ability to exercise his intellect. No one else handed you your ability to, to reason and rationale. In the context of Judah, those who esteemed their wisdom thought they knew how to interpret the, the Bible, the, the law of the Lord. For in verse 8 of chapter 8, you find people saying, we are wise and the law of the Lord is with us. So they placed ultimate security in their ability to understand and interpret their current times. Well, secondly, he says, let not the mighty man boast in his might. In the context of Judah's situation, as Babylon, this foreign nation, made its presence felt in the ancient Near East, Judah would have placed confidence in its own army and its own military power. Besides, they had the, the temple of the Lord, which signified God's presence again. So if other nations did attack them, then Judah would have been able to defend for herself. And in the book of Jeremiah, after preaching to repent or you will be removed from this land, that's kind of like the first half of the book, J Jeremiah transitions into a new message, which is surrender to Babylon or else you will die. But King Zedekiah, a later king, he refuses to surrender when Jeremiah preaches this message. And, and why? Well, at least in part, he was confident in his own nation's ability to defend itself and display its own military power. But thirdly, we come to this last one, and he says, Let not the rich man boast in his riches. What do rich people take comfort in? They take comfort in the fact that they are in the ultimate state of comfort because of their seemingly endless pool of resources and money. And in Jeremiah's context, why should the rich be frightened at the judgments that this prophet pronounces over them? Everything is okay. Everything is good, Jeremiah. Relax, man. We're going to be okay. Why are you so rigid and so serious? Had to have been the thoughts of the rich. And the mentality of finding security in blessing rather than the blessor tends to inhabit the heart of rich people. But not just rich people, everyone. And however, man has no reason to glory in his riches because the Bible teaches that they all come from God. And all these boasts were foolish because each and every boast was undergirded by something. And what was that something? Pride. The problem is, all these boasts look inwardly as the object of praise. The wise man boasts in his wisdom and intellect. Look at my ability to reason and process through quickly with my mind. The mighty man boasts in his might and his strength. He says, look at my ability to lift hundreds of pounds of weights. And the rich man boasts in his riches. Look at what kind of car I drive and what kind of house I live in, all because of the wealth that I have amassed. You know, a perfect modern-day example of this is an advertisement that was floating around on YouTube a, a few years back. A man named Ty Lopez, you might have heard of him, He's, he's holding this, this camera to himself in, in, the, in his garage. 
And in the background are his red Ferrari, his black Lamborghini, and he's a self-professed entrepreneur. And in this three-plus-minute advertisement, he talks about how he got rich and he was able to buy his house in the, the Hollywood Hills. And in the garage, he, he flashes his seven shelves of books and tells you how he reads a book a day. He tells us that it's all about the, the knowledge. It's all an advertisement to, to get you to sign up for his 67 steps on how to live a healthy, wealthy, and prosperous life. He is the epitome of one who makes all these boasts. Brothers and sisters of FBC, is there something that you boast in? I should probably phrase it more accurately. What do you boast in? The truth of the matter is that all of us boast in something. All of us put our security in something. For Jeremiah's neighbors, it was their wisdom, their might, and their riches. They didn't care about Jeremiah's warnings to repent. His words were weightless to them. Do you boast in your wisdom? God's word is supposed to be our ultimate source of wisdom, but I think often we instead look internally. And sometimes when we get sick or our bodies fail us, we think to ourselves, God, you shouldn't have allowed me to to get sick. I could be doing something greater with my life at this moment. If only I wasn't in this present condition. And in that moment, what we're doing is we're, we're boasting in our wisdom. Our wisdom dictates that our life should be otherwise. We are wiser than God. Consider boasting at, a, at another angle. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. This no doubt refers to physical strength. It has that aspect to it. But if you allowed me to to speak a little differently to the issue of strength of character. Some of you have a particular struggle in your life that you'd rather not disclose to other people. Perhaps it's embarrassing and you find it shameful. You prefer to tell no one. You think that you can deal with the secret sin on your own. So you buckle down deep and you try your hardest, but without success. Well, consider the words of Paul to Timothy in somewhat famous words in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. Paul writes to Timothy, So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Now, when you read that verse, what do Christians particularly tend to focus on? It's that first part. But the text says, flee these things. So flee one thing to to pursue another thing. But we tend to overlook that last part of the verse. The text says, flee these things and pursue the others. How? Along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. In other words, link arms. Link arms with others who can help you in fleeing what you should flee and pursuing what you should pursue. The second half of this verse is not a throwaway. Don't do it alone. Let not the mighty man boast in his strength. Furthermore, to boast in these things is to be deceived. 
It's to be deceived. Just like Judah, we deceive ourselves when we shrug off the word of God. History tells us that Jeremiah was right. His truth-telling, his prophetic word, presented an opportunity for Judah to respond. But they deceived themselves and rested in false confidence. And so it is for us when we disregard God's word. We are not wiser than him, nor will our strength or riches function as a dependable foundation for our lives. But I want to take a moment to address anyone here who is not a Christian. I'm not intending to to single you out. You don't need to raise your hand. But I want you to know that you are in a similar boat as Jeremiah's audience. You're boasting in something today, this morning. Again, the question is, what is it? Do you think that you are blessed because of your wisdom and your might and your riches? Maybe you thought to yourself, I don't need God. I don't need Jesus. I'm smart. I'm strong. I have enough money. A friend, you think you're blessed, but you're only deceiving yourself. You think you're blessed, but you're only deceiving yourself. I know that sounds harsh, but it's the truth. Be proud, not in your own excellency or in your own virtue. There's something else that you must look to, and it is outside of yourself. We'll take a look at what it is in a moment. But I want all of us to notice something key in these two verses. It's neither, it's, it's neither wrong for man to possess what he has, which is his wisdom, his might, and his riches, nor is it wrong to boast. Jeremiah does not condemn Judah for being wise or being strong or possessing riches, nor does he condemn the act of boasting in of itself. We don't hear or read the words, do not boast. He doesn't say that. But Jeremiah tells us of the permissible boast. And this is where we come to our second and final heading this morning. As we consider this permissible boast, look with me in verse 24. It says, But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, says the Lord, declares the Lord. Did I read that right? The Bible advocates boasting. The Bible advocates boasting. But it all depends on whom and what we boast in. What or who is the boast or who is the object of our boast? Let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. The permissible boast is that of understanding and knowing the Lord. A supreme confidence, ultimate comfort, and eternal hope in the life of the human being can be found only in knowing the Lord. And in Judah's context... This would have been knowing the God of the Mosaic Covenant, the covenant that God had made with Israel through Moses. Knowing him meant worshiping him 
alone. Knowing and understanding Yahweh meant heeding the word of his true prophets, men like Jeremiah. So in Jeremiah's context, if the people were to understand and know the Lord, they would have repented from their sins that Jeremiah indicted them on. Instead of shutting their ears to his message, they would have opened up their hearts, mourned over their sin, and turned from their evil desires. Now, there's something really important that you need to know. Boasting in God is the humblest way to live. Boasting in God is the humblest way to live. But before elaborating on this thought, I must clarify that this is not a boast as if someone were saying, I know the Lord and you don't. That's not what he's saying. Furthermore, it's certainly not a boast that exclaims, I have sought the Lord I have sought him out and on my own choosing, and I have found him. It's a boast centered on the majesty and the glory of God. It's a boast that takes no credit or glory in the self. It's a boast that recognizes wisdom, might, and riches are wonderful gifts given by a gracious Redeemer. It's a boast that revels in the source of goodness, Namely, God himself. That's in fact what humility is, isn't it? In the words of a particular Christian author, humility is honestly assessing ourselves in light of God's holiness and our sinfulness. Humility is honestly assessing ourselves in light of God's holiness and our sinfulness. So boasting in God exalts God's holiness and confesses our lowly state. And those who are prideful are ones who diminish God's holiness and downplay their own sinfulness. He who boasts in God knows that he would not know God without God's initiative on his life. Man does not initiate his own knowledge of God. Well, that comes to a draws us to an important question. What does it mean to know God? What does it mean to know God? Well, this question, again, is an important one. The difference between knowing and not knowing God is the difference between ultimate joy, ultimate joy and and peace with God in eternity, and the alternative of ultimate judgment under his wrathful hand for eternity. Knowing God is at least a matter of personal dealing. This implies that it's more than about knowing Him. You can have a knowledge about a person and not really know them. It requires that they disclose something intimate about themselves to you. And in this case, God has disclosed to us that He practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. But there must not only be a width of knowledge, but there must be a depth of knowledge. You can't just know facts about God. You can't just know facts and expect that to to touch you as a person. You have to be touched by those facts internally. The information we, we engage must affect us deep to our core in an intimate way. Well, knowing God is also a matter of personal involvement. What I mean by that is it involves the whole person. It involves the mind, 
the will, and even emotions. Without these three relational aspects, we cannot be in relationship with the Lord. Your mind must be engaged with who God is. If you don't know what he says about himself, how can you know him? You have to engage with him in the area of your life lived out. When he calls you to to do something or fulfill a particular command, you must exercise your will and your volition. And if you read about him and, and feel nothing for him, you must question if you are personally involved with him. You know, my wife and I had a friend in Kentucky in our seminary days, and this friend shared with us about her experience when a a fellow Christian brother pursued her. She was single, he was single, and he approached her with the, the sternness of tones and said, Laura, would you go and have dinner with me? And in order to, to give him a shot, it wasn't the best, you know, initial approach, but she decided to give him a shot. And so they went out to dinner, and she opened herself up on the date. And during the date, this, this brother, he would barely talk or ask her questions. And she would sweetly inquire about his life, but when the answer came to, 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 to be given, he would stoically reply with his succinct, concise, few-word answers. Well, do you think that they went out on a second date? I think you know the answer. And this Christian brother neglected to care to get to know my friend Laura. He neither asked questions about her or sought to inquire and show he cared for her as a person. And on the flip side, God necessitates that we give our minds, our wills, and our emotions to know him. Do you really know God if you don't know what he's like? Do you really know God if you don't care to obey what he has said in his word? And do you really know God if you're not grieved when you fail him or or joyful when you sing to him? Emotions matter as well. Without personal involvement, we cannot know God. Knowing God also is a matter of grace. The initiative in knowing God rests solely on God. It's not that we approach God and attempt to make friends with Him. We, in our natural, unbelieving state, want nothing to do with the Almighty, Holy God. Grace, that is God's unmerited favor, what we don't deserve from God, grace had to be poured upon us before we could even think about knowing God. And in the context of this passage... Jeremiah shows us the natural state of mind and heart for those whom he has withheld his grace from. What do they do? They bow to idols. They oppress those within their own society. They scorn God's word and they cover it all up with a pretentious profession of faith. They say they know God, but they really don't. Without God's grace, we cannot know God. And knowing God is also a matter of knowing his character. In verse 24, he says that he is a God who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness. The the Hebrew word for steadfast love is chesed. It's also translated elsewhere in the Bible as loving kindness. And if there is one Hebrew word worth knowing, this is the word. This word chesed describes God's character, that it is committed to those whom he loves and whom he chooses. 
It communicates a sense of covenant, commitment, love that will never break. God has bound himself to his word, what he says, and he will remain faithful to what he says. God here is also a God of justice. He cares about right and wrong. He, in fact, is the standard of justice. He's not just some unfair, depends on the mood when I wake up type of God. Moreover, he practices righteousness. His standard is pure and upright. There's no moral fault with him. He accomplishes all his works with perfect moral purity upheld by his own standards. How do you know God? How do you know God in in order that you might boast in him? Well, in Jeremiah's context, the people would have known God if, again, they had trusted in Jeremiah's word. And trust in God's word is always the key to knowing God. Trust in his word. You can't know someone if you don't listen to what they say and believe what they say. Well, in our present context, we are told that God has spoken finally and conclusively in his Son, Jesus Christ. Therefore, if you want to know God, you have to believe what he says about himself. And what he says about himself is shown to us in the person of Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you want to know God, know Jesus. Earlier on, I asked the question, what do you boast in? Again, because all of us boast in something. And you're hoping that it will deliver you or save you or provide you some ultimate satisfaction. And earlier I said, you think you're blessed, but you're only deceiving yourself. Well, the only boast worth boasting, the only boast that will stand under the judgment of God is the boast that boasts in Him. It's a boast that says, I trust not in myself, my wisdom, my might, my riches. I trust in Jesus Christ. It's a boast that says, Jesus is my life. All I have is Christ. It's placing your ultimate security in the death of Jesus. It's confidence in his burial as an innocent sacrifice, saying that he died for your sins. And it's an acknowledgement of his power over death and hell and sin through Christ's resurrection, that Christ on the third day after he was crucified rose from the dead. It's a boast that leads you to turn away from your sin. So I ask the question, is your boast that you understand and know God? Or is your boast in the things of this world? Because if your boast is in this world, then your end will be no different, as I said earlier, than Judah. They suffered devastation and death at the hands of Babylon. And your end might not be looking like a foreign country invading the U.S., but if you reject God, it will be the eternal wrath of God on your soul for eternity. So boast in the Lord now so that you could boast in Him forever. And if you want to learn more of what that looks like, if if you're not a Christian today, speak to a member. Speak to a member or a friend who brought you here this morning or speak to one of the pastors of the church. Speak to Jeremy or as he prayed for David and, and Oscar. 
I'm sure they'd be more than happy to, to talk to you of what it means to boast in the Lord. The reality is the one who boasts in the Lord is truly wise, is truly strong, and truly rich. Our very Bibles tell us how the spread of the gospel took place in the New Testament. How did the Lord do it? Through uneducated fishermen and Galileans. These men from a worldly standard had no wisdom to offer the world. And prior to meeting Jesus, many of them were on the Sea of Galilee casting their nets in order to get a catch of fish over their fishing boat. They had no theological training, nor were they schooled under the the counsel of the rabbis of the Jewish people. But after knowing Jesus, they preached sermons and pronounced the wisdom of God, and in doing so, turned the world upside down. Those who boast in the Lord are ones who have truly been made wise. Consider a saint named Johnny Erickson Tata. She has lived as a quadriplegic for 40 plus years. That is, she has no movement in her body from neck down. And after a diving accident at the age of 17, she's been living in this condition, not to mention her bouts with cancer. And the world would label her disability as a weakness. But her boast is not in herself. She has boasted in the fact that she understands and knows the Lord. The Lord has used her for his kingdom to minister to countless people through the organization she founded and serves as the CEO, Johnny and Friends International. She is one who is truly mighty because of her boasting in the Lord. And lastly, consider a man who lived in the 19th century, mostly in England. His name was George Mueller. I would describe George Mueller as the richest poor man who ever lived. I say this because it is estimated that in current day's value, about $150 million was funneled through his hands and his ministry over the course of his entire life. And at the end of his life, he had very little. And it is because he spent very little of his money on himself, he was busy caring for over 10,000 orphans over the course of his life in ministry. And the special thing about Mueller was that he never solicited support for himself nor his ministry. He simply prayed and had his confidence in the Lord to provide him the riches that he needed to to provide for those orphans. And it required a tremendous amount of faith. Think of all the lives of the young ones who came to know the Lord because of his ministry. What a story of faith. He was one who was truly rich because of his boasting in the Lord. Understanding the Lord and knowing the Lord is really what life is all about. I guess you could say it's the the sum and the, the substance of life. And my hope and prayer is that we would be a people who boast much. Let the world know that we can't help but boast in the Lord. Let's pray. Oh God, you are one who is worthy of our boast. Teach us to humble ourselves before your mighty hand, 
that we might not boast in ourselves, but that we would boast in you, the one true and living God. Bring glory to yourself, O Lord, in the way that we respond to the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen.